What do you say, everybody? It's time for Monday Night Quarterback here on the Bama Insider YouTube channel. We're going to talk about the Alabama Crimson Tide tonight. We do it every night on Monday at 6 o'clock with our show, Monday Night Quarterback. So, look, so much to talk about, but before we get into anything else, let me remind you to subscribe to the Bama Insider YouTube channel. We're on the way to 50,000 subscribers, which really is amazing. But it's because of you guys that have made it so great. Give us the thumbs up and like the show. And don't forget, if you miss part of it, you can always go back and rewatch it. Or if you're driving to work or you're looking for something to listen to, download the podcast wherever you get your podcasts on the Bama Insider podcast channel. Destination would be like Apple or Spotify, uh, wherever you get it. So let's get into the show tonight with... Tony Sukalis, the Bama insider, Alabama rivals beat writer, and Trey Yannity. I'm Mick Gillespie, guys. I normally do a, a big open and I you know, try to go through all your credentials, but there's just so much to talk about tonight that I feel like I need to get right into it. Uh, let's talk about last night's Super Bowl. I had a great time watching the game. Uh, I, I absolutely love the, you know, just the matchup between the two great quarterbacks and what they bring to the table. But it was the Tampa Bay Bucks defensive line that took advantage of Kansas City's banged up O-line that kind of set things in motion. We're going to talk about Tom Brady and we're going to talk about uh, Patrick Mahomes, but really it was Tampa Bay's defense that led them to the Super Bowl. Crazy thing though is that Tom Brady's won yet again. Now, uh, your thoughts on the Super Bowl, and then I'm going to kind of tie it back to Alabama, believe it or not. Tony? Yeah, I'm going to kind of tie it to Alabama as well. This is the first time that Tom Brady's won a Super Bowl in the same season that Nick Saban's won a Super Bowl. Uh, it's been like a little bit of a jinx where one would win and the other would not win. Uh, uh, Alabama still has that jinx with uh, Bill Belichick and Nick Saban, but now, you know, it, it's really weird. To, you know, I've been kind of following that because I'm, I'm a Patriots fan myself. So it is weird to see Brady win one in the same year that, that Nick Saban wins one, but you can't argue the, the two goats, right? I mean, two, two, guys that are the best at, at, at what they do. And then seven rings for Brady, you really can't say enough about him and, and the performance and, and, and what he's able to do in the big stage time in and time again. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, look, Trey, don't forget about uh, Gronk. He was part of this as well. I mean, you know, you talk about the Patriots, two of the weapons, and they combined for a couple touchdowns. I don't think we're ever going to be uh, forgetting about Rob Gronkowski. Just the story. I mean, this dude was out of football. He was getting honored at last year's Super Bowl as one of, you know, the retired veterans. That uh, That's just a personality at that point. One year later, this dude scores the first two touchdowns of Super Bowl 55, catching passes from Tom Brady, his former quarterback in New England, um, and, you know, just, just taking it the rest of the way. This Tampa Bay team was unbelievably loaded before Tom Brady, but – I, I will say I think Brady was that final piece they needed and it, and it proved last night. But like we're going to talk about, um, you know, it's on that offensive line for Kansas City. And it's it's credit to that Tampa Bay defense because Patrick Mahomes, personally, I think he's the best quarterback in the nation. Didn't even have a chance last night. So I think that's what won Super Bowl 55, but a great Super Bowl. And, um, you know, really cool to see Gronk get those first two. Yeah, no doubt. Look, I remember Tom Brady. 
because I remember covering Alabama and Michigan when they played in the Orange Bowl 2000. Alabama won the uh, 99 SEC championship, and they lost to you know to La Tech that season in Tennessee. And so they, they, they didn't have enough wins to get into the college football playoffs. So they, had, they, they did get to the Orange Bowl, and this backup quarterback had taken over Michigan's team at some point during that season. <laughs> we're like, you know, talking about this guy, and his name's Brady, and we're ta- calling him the Brady Bunch. And look, that's doing college radio, you know, as well. I mean, you do some of that, Trey. So, you know, like it, it's not always the most professional setting. Uh, and and then Alabama's up 21 points in the second half of the game. I remember Chris Samuel, the, uh, the Outland winner, uh, didn't play in that game. He he played in the SEC title game, but took that one off to get ready for the draft. Sean Alexander had a big run, and then all of a sudden it was like that vintage Tom Brady. He came back. They beat Alabama <laughs> by a point in overtime, and it's been like this magical career ever since. So I don't know if that's where it started, but it's this guy. I mean, it was like he found some magic in Michigan, and he has just continued to roll with that. Yeah, I mean, look, he's an undersized kid at Michigan. Uh, you know, there's that famous uh, draft day photo of him. You know, he's all just a scrawny guy with no shirt on. Uh, you know, he doesn't look like a, a guy that's going to go and win seven Super Bowls. And the Patriots took a chance on him. And look, he needed a little bit of good luck as well uh, with with you know Drew Bledsoe getting hurt and then you know him getting that opportunity. It's really just been that that storybook kind of kind of you know career for him it's kind of the, the thing you, you see in a movie he, he really kind of came out of nowhere you know um you look at the best players in different sports and, and a lot of times you get guys that you saw it coming right uh like like michael jordan right we saw michael jordan coming tom brady coming out of michigan like you were saying like i know yeah he had some of those performances mick but you didn't see tom brady coming no, the patriots didn't see tom brady coming and uh it's just it's been what, what a career and, and it just shows like when you have something that and you're that driven, like like he is, tying it back to Saban again too. When you're that driven at something, uh, you can push yourself to to lengths that other people thought were impossible. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, look, the the guy has been in more Super Bowls than anyone else. He's won more Super Bowls than anyone else, and he's got an Orange Bowl win too, Trey. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, if there's a goat of all goats, it's Tom Brady at this point. And last night only furthers that. And, you know, it's going to make it for Patrick DeHolmes to hopefully one day take that over if you're a Kansas City Chiefs fan. Uh, but, you know, it, it's at this point, the one stat that sticks out to me more than any other, uh, you heard this a ton last night. I love this one. Tom Brady has won seven Super Bowls. The next closest team in the whole history of the game has won six. There's two teams that are tied for it. One of them is the team that he got all six of their titles for. So, uh, you know, the winning is is unbelievable at this point. But, you know, this sport kind of opposed to other sports, like maybe basketball when the Golden State Warriors were dominating. I don't know if I'm if I'm necessarily done with this yet. It's it's so cool to appreciate what is going on. And like Tony said, this is not one of those guys that, you know, was the chosen one, was the high school prospect, was the, the Heisman winner in college and anything else. You, you watch that interview from draft day. You see the emotion, um, you know, in that moment. You even hear about him talking about it today. You can hear that emotion in his voice because it was either, you know, Tom Brady was going to be an accountant or he was going to get that phone call and the Patriots took a chance on him. Uh, I, I, would, I think they could agree that, that that one paid out. 
Well, it did. And another part of the story that was interesting to me, too, is that in his 45th season of coaching, Bruce Arians, the Tampa Bay coach, wins a Super Bowl. I mean, he's been part of Super Bowl teams as a coordinator, you know, and now he's the head coach. This guy actually is part of the Alabama coaching tree, but it's not with Nick Saban. And it's not with Mike Dubose, Mike Shula. It, it wasn't with uh, Ray Perkins or Bill Curry, uh, Dennis Franchoni. He actually coached under Bear Bryant, which is, I mean, just at this point, it's unbelievable to think about that a guy winning his first Super Bowl, right, coached under Bear Bryant. And he was uh, Alabama's running backs coach and in the, you know, 90, or excuse me, 80, 1980, one in 82, 83, took over as Temple's head coach. And when he was asked about, you know, his influences in coaching, one of the people he talked about being his, one of his most influential uh, uh, coaches was Bear Bryant. And he said that, you know, the last thing that he <laughs> Bear Bryant told him was to coach him hard and hug him later. And he says he's, he's uh, kind of taken on that same mantra. But you see there, uh, I guess he did hug him later uh, after a championship. Yeah, it's really easy to hug after a championship, you know, but I, I think that's a, that's a good mantra as well, too, that, that you know, just I, I think when you look back at the people that really push you, that to get to get better it's it is those people that you know they know when to push you and they also know when to to support you and they they know when players you know and i think coach bryant was one of those guys he knew when you know he knew how to push players but he also probably knew how to to give my hand on the shoulder a little bit when they needed to uh once he knew that they were he was getting the, the best out of them so um look there's not a better guy to learn that from than than uh bear bryant maybe nick saban you know but uh <laughs> But other than those two, I mean, uh, you can't really go wrong. So it, it's really nice for Arians to, to get that first Super Bowl. And look, as long as he has Tom Brady in, in this offense and especially that defensive line, it wouldn't be surprised if he, get, he gets there next year as well. Yeah, Trey, I mean, it, it's crazy to think that this guy was, you know, an understudy of the Bear. Yeah, you know, anybody that that can say that is – off to a pretty good start in their career. Uh, but, you know, Arians has had a, had a little bit of a, a different career, and he's been around the league a little bit. I loved this hire, though, when I heard it come out. I think it was last, maybe late January, you know, kind of or maybe two Januarys ago now that I think about it. Time flies. Uh, but, you know, it just seemed like one of those hires of a guy that hasn't had this winning yet, at, at, you know, at the highest level, won the Super Bowl, who, who was just so hungry for it. And a Tampa Bay team at the time, that was good. I mean, they had Mike Evans. They had Ronald Jones, uh, but they weren't what they are now. That defense wasn't wasn't you know wasn't what it even close to what it was last night. Um, but and you know a lot of it is credit to Tom Brady too. When he got to town, he brought Leonard Fournette and others. Antonio Brown joins the team, and Brady getting there I think helped solidify you know all pieces of this team. But before then, you know Bruce Arians knew that he was going to have a decent chance to to win a Super Bowl, and um, you know to see it pay out is awesome. I think Bear Bryant still. Uh, smiles, you know, down on everybody, just seeing so many of his former coaches and, and so many guys that he had an effect on have great success. Excellent to see Arians get his. Um, his mother was there last night, too. I think she's 95, made the trip down to Tampa, uh, you know, short trip if she's relocated. But um, just, just an awesome night for the Arians family. Yeah, no doubt. And I think this is going to be the last former Bear Bryant assistant to win a first-time Super Bowl, too. Just going to go out on a limb 
and say that. <laughs> I think it's safe to say, yeah. Yeah. I think I can go and throw that out there. Subscribe as you guys watch to the Bama Insider YouTube channel. Give us a thumbs up. We really appreciate you being here as we talk about Alabama football. We're kind of getting into the Super Bowl. Of course, mentioned that Tom Brady beat Alabama in one of the really classic bowl games that has been played in the Orange Bowl, in 2000 Orange Bowl, and then Bruce Arians coached under under Bear Bryant. Guys, uh, just to, to wrap up our thoughts on the Super Bowl, best and worst from – the Super Bowl. Tom Brady with seven championship rings. Uh, start with you, Tony. Your best and worst from yesterday. Well, I, I got to get, I mean, as, as a longtime fan of Tom Brady, as hard as it was to see him win, not with the Patriots, uh, I got to give my best to Tom Brady. Uh, the best to ever do it, the best to ever put on pads, in my opinion. Uh, my worst, though, I mean, uh, on the other end, you look at the offensive line for the Chiefs, felt like uh, Patrick Mahomes was scrambling for his life like every single snap. So, I, you know, I, I kind of felt bad for Patrick Mahomes because he didn't have really the opportunity. He made some stellar throws and just but never had enough time to make a play. A lot of that has to do uh, with – I could give another best to the defensive line of uh, Tampa Bay, but uh, I, I wish that, you know, maybe the offensive line for Kansas City had shown up a little bit more just because I, I would like to see Patrick Mahomes make a few more of those plays or have some time to do more with the football. Yeah, really. Yeah, I'm right there with you, Tony. Um, I'll, I'll start with my worst here. And, it, you know, of course, it would be that offensive line as well. That's, you know, the one area you circle and you say, this is why they lost the game. Uh, but I'm going to say Andy Reid here because, you know, as hard as it is to battle a you know defensive line coming at you like that, maybe I'm saying maybe here because, again, I would have picked the offensive line if Tony hadn't gone first. But, um, you know, maybe he could have game planned a little bit differently in the second half, freed up a little bit more. Uh, time at least for Patrick Mahomes um, to make some of those plays because we got a picture. I'll, I'll pull it up here. He was throwing, a, you know, pretty much sideways at one point in this game. Uh, <laughs> you know, maybe yeah. there, you know, a, a few more things drawn up for him. But um, you know, really, it's that offensive line. The best. I'm going to go grab Rob Gronkowski, Tom Brady. You're the goat. You've won your seventh Super Bowl. Tony said it very well there. Uh, but Rob Gronkowski, man, coming back, getting another ring on his finger as well, scoring those first two touchdowns, setting the tone in this game, um, and just electrifying last night. I'm gonna go Rob Gronkowski for my best. What's yours, Mick? Yeah, I love the 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 spikes of the football. You know, like look, I don't need this. Antonio Brown caught his touchdown, and and he didn't want anyone to even get near that ball. It was going home with him. You know, hey, look, this might be the last one. I don't know. You know, Gronks are he's bouncing it up into the paper fans. You know, like he's just going crazy in there. Uh, my my best was the Tampa Bay defensive line. I mean, they just were relentless. They they pressured the quarterback who just so happens to be the best quarterback in the NFL, Patrick Mahomes, the entire game. And if Kansas City had their normal offensive line, I don't know that they would have won, but it would have been a much different game. And in football, it's one in the trenches. I mean, we've seen that with Alabama. When their defensive line is getting pressure on the quarterback like they did this year, it doesn't matter how good your quarterback is, uh, like a just Justin Fields, you're, you're not going to do really well. And when you don't get pressure, you know, you can get riddled. So their defensive line came in and, and all those guys did a tremendous job. The best, maybe the best pass rush we've ever seen in the NFL in the Super Bowl, which is crazy. And I would say the worst was the halftime show. I didn't even know who those guys were. I mean, like people were trying to explain it to me. And I, I'm like, okay, I guess like maybe like there's someone that like, I, I don't know. I mean, like, I'm old school, you know, I, 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 but I, 
just some like, who are these guys? And I, I was in a bar, so I couldn't really hear what, and, and I, I'm like, okay. And then when they finally turned them on, I'm like, I, I don't know. I mean, like, I don't like that song. I've heard it before, but it just didn't feel like, you know, you know, the, like some of the big shows, it wasn't Prince or the Rolling Stones or, you know, some of the big acts that we've had Bruce Springsteen played the halftime show. Um, I, I don't know. You know, I guess, you know, I even you, like last you've heard the weekend though. I'm sure you have. Yeah, like if you turn on the the top forty radio, you've heard the weekend at some point, Nick. Yeah, but like I, 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 I recognize a couple other songs, but like you know, J Lo, I mean I for one love J Lo last year, you know, like uh, when Jackson did it, it was fine. And Justin Timberlake, I don't know. It just felt like it was kind of like, yeah, not not a maybe because there weren't fans there, but that was my worst of the of the Super Bowl. All right, let's talk about the NFL. Before we get there, though, please thumbs up, subscribe to our channel. Welcome to Bama Insider. This is Monday Night Quarterback. We do it here on the Alabama Rival site. And we've had, you know, just this huge momentum of, you know, so many different things to cover, so many exciting moments, 2021 Alabama football. I mean, you talk about SEC championship national championship Heisman Trophy winners, you know, and all the other awards that they've won and number one recruiting class. And now we're getting into this NFL draft. And it's kind of fun to look at the NFL mock draft and start to figure out, you know, where the Bama players are going to go in the first round. And we could have as many as six guys go in the first round total in the NFL. And, you know, a lot of I mean, some of those guys could be first round picks. I mean, maybe two or possibly three, Tony. Yeah. I mean, there, there could be a, a ton of Alabama players. I mean, like, look, you, you just look at the guys that could go in the top 10 from what I've been seeing. You've got Devontae Smith could be the number, what, two overall pick, maybe. You got a guy like Jalen Waddle. I think he could really, if especially if he can have a good combine, he's a guy I think that could be a top. You know, I've seen him kind of fall as early as the uh, the Eagles at number six. And I actually think that if he can have a good combine, he could probably even go before that. Uh, and then you got Patrick Sertan, who I, I think, you know, is a, is a really talented player as well. I think he's a good fit for the Cowboys at number 10. Um, that's three right there. And with the momentum that Mac Jones has, you know, uh, I think with we talk about Tom Brady, talk about the, the Patriots. I mean, I think the Patriots at 15 for Mac Jones, that's a match made in heaven. So possibly four in the top 15. Uh, and then there's guys too, Mick, that like people aren't really talking about that I think are talented guys who, who might rise in the draft. I think Christian Barmore is another name that like, watch out for that guy. Like he, he might come out of nowhere and, and get, you know, a top 20 pick in, in Christian Barmore because he's a really, you know, a young physical defensive line, you know, kind of freak guy that I think a lot of NFL teams would need. So right there, that's what that's five in the first, I could see 20 picks and I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. How about you, Trey? Yeah, I'm right there with you, Tony. I want to take it even further with Christian Barmore. I think he could be a top 15 pick even uh, depending on, you know, how things shake out, who gets taken where, but uh, I I'm with you. I, I tallied it up today. I have six going in the first round for yeah. Alabama. Um, I forgot about Najee Harris. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One of the most skilled players in this draft. Uh, and, you know, what I love about it is there's a lot of teams with a lot of need, um, you know, picking near the top of the draft as far as skill position-wise. So I think you will see Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith go in the top 15. Uh, I, I don't 
necessarily think Najee Harris is going to be in that upper half of the first round, but you know, there's a chance that somebody wants, uh, you know, an NFL ready running back. Patrick Sertain could easily go in the top 10. He could be, you know, the first or second Bama player taken even, uh, you know, and then it leaves Mac Jones and we'll talk about this here in a second, but um, you know, this Bama class is, is like every year, absolutely loaded. Uh, but yeah, I got six, I got six going in the first round. I love listening to Brett Favre talk about the Jaguars not taking Trevor Lawrence, who, by the way, has to have uh, shoulder surgery, but not on his thrown shoulder, on you know the other shoulder, who could possibly be a franchise quarterback, right? And and taking Smitty. I mean, who, what if Smitty went first? You know, like Devontae Smith. I mean, you know, that would that would be incredible. You know, but if you misfired and you were the Jaguars. Uh, on Trevor Lawrence, I mean, like that—that that would be like one of the all-time biggest fumbles. I don't think you could take Devonte Smith with the first pick, guys. Even if you knew for sure he was going to have a great career, because if Trevor Lawrence ends up going somewhere else and becoming like you know a Peyton Manning or a Tom—I probably can't even say Tom Brady anymore—but a but a Peyton Manning type, or you know a Drew Brees, or you know someone that's able to win a Super Bowl or two. Uh, you know, and you're the Jaguars. You finally have a chance to get this guy, like the premier quarterback. It, God, I mean, everybody would be fired over there. At the same time, I love the fact that people are saying, you know, and, and someone that won a Super Bowl in Brett Favre, that that Smitty would be a great first pick overall. Yeah, I, I think yeah. Smitty, like or Devontae Smith, you know, is a is a quality pick. I don't think if you are a team that needs a quarterback, though, that you can pick him over a quarterback because there's a lot of other great receivers in this draft as well. So um, especially if you're a team like Jacksonville, who has another pick at, I think, what, 25? Uh, you know, it, it's a nice sentiment from, uh, from Brett Favre. But if they were to pass on someone like Trevor Lawrence to pick, Devontae Smith, number one, well, you're not going to find a, a receiver or you're not going to find a quarterback. And that's such a difference maker at 25. You might be able to find a receiver, uh, you know, Tony from Florida, somebody like that. He's not as good as Devontae Smith, but, you know, if you're able to pair that with Trevor Lawrence, I like that a lot better than trying to do that the reverse way uh, and, and drafting Smitty and then not having a, you know, a, a quarterback to, to kind of pair with him. So, um, I, I think it's high praise from Brett Favre, but at the same time, I think Jacksonville better pick a quarterback. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm I'm right there with you, Tony. How about Tony from uh, Houston, Texas? Maybe Tony from Florida. Uh, no, <laughs> yeah. But, well, if they want to pay me that money, I'll, I'll suit up. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, no, I, I'm with you, and, and like you're talking about the quarterback, that's the case in every year. But this year, there's one quarterback, and I'll refer to the NBA: Zion Williamson. People knew that there was a lot of great players in that in that draft class. R.J. Barrett, uh, Luka Doncic, I, I believe, some others that were excellent prospects. But you have a guy that has completely separated himself from everybody else in the pack when it comes to hype and when it comes to projectability and everything else. We don't know what Trevor Lawrence is going to do. And I think that we're a little ahead of ourselves when we act like he is, you know, the far and away no doubt number one pick in the country kind of like we thought he was going to be the number one you know or the no doubt heisman winner this year and i know COVID, everything else messed that up but outside of one unbelievably you know insane national title game he had and great numbers the rest of his career there weren't too many times where he was in complete takeover mode and that sounds weird because all you hear is trevor lawrence trevor lawrence trevor lawrence but you know that was against nc state and syracuse and, and boston college whoever 
this dude ended up going in big games, what, three and one? You see guys in the SEC that have really proven themselves, like a Mac Jones. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying Trevor can't and Trevor won't. I think he he will. He probably will. Probably go on to be great. Uh, but, you know, I, I get it. He's projectable. He's got the size. He's got the skill set NFL teams love. And, uh, you know, I just don't think any team would pass if they had that number one pick. I, I have a question for you. This is something I brought up to a friend. If you're the Jacksonville Jaguars, if this is a possibility, would you trade the number one pick straight up for Deshaun Watson? Me? Really? I would take that in a second. Yeah, yeah, I would too. Because I mean, I, I love Trevor Lawrence, but I mean, I, I'm a big like. If I already know that I've got a star, I'd love to have that star. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I would. I, I'm not saying that that's going to happen, but I, I would definitely do that trade. And I, I actually kind of think that both parties might do that trade. If, if I, I think our, at least the Texans might be open to that trade as well, but I think Jacksonville's probably pretty set on Trevor Lawrence. They probably are. I mean, you think about that, though. It's it's the two Clemson's two most recent dominant quarterbacks. One of them, um, you know, won a couple national titles, was a Heisman finalist a little bit more, had better numbers, everything else. And it's proven in the NFL. I think you make that deal. Uh, no questions asked. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, you just do it. I mean, like you, you take the sure thing when it's the same position. If you, you know, and maybe Trevor Lawrence becomes, you know, a, a megastar, but I'll tell you what, Watson's kind of right there to me uh, on the right team. I mean, up until this year with some of the moves uh, that were made, it got rid of his biggest target. And, you know, when when Hopkins left and, you know, and then the offensive line didn't do well. And then this everything just kind of fell apart for those guys. But he's he's already a proven commodity. I love how we're starting this rumor now. This is this is completely just a hypothetical, but uh, it it is kind of fun to think about. Right. Like. Yeah, well, I've heard it already. I've heard other people kind of suggesting that, too, on, on different shows. So, I mean, like, I, I think other people have kind of looking at it, the fact that Watson has demanded a trade. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it, there's other possibilities. I mean, one, and I this isn't even the direction we were going to take this, but, you know, while we're here, we might as well get into it. You know, one of the, the possibilities that I've heard is that maybe he goes to the Dolphins and Tua gets traded with a pick to uh, to the Texans. And I would take that, you know, if I was the Texans, I would take that deal because I think two is going to be a really, really good quarterback when it's all said and done. Uh, how about, but at the how about this, Nick? How, how about they make that trade, right? Two goes to the to the Texans. What if the Texans drafted Devontae Smith? Be a lot of offense there. Well, they need a receiver. They got rid of uh, of 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 Hopkins, and you know they're they they. But the problem that they have is that they don't. Oh, you're saying with that pick, so you take yeah, that. Yeah, so like, so I'm saying, like, so they send Tua and that pick, and and then the Texans then go ahead and pick Devontae and pair him up with Tua in Houston. Yeah, because they have the Texans' third pick. Sure. That yeah. the Texans would have had it had they not traded it. So, they, yeah, they'd be essentially in that such scenario just giving it back. Yeah. Yeah, that would be very, very interesting. Hey, as you guys watch, please subscribe to our channel, the Bama Insider YouTube channel, and also give us a thumbs up as you hang out with us on a Monday night. It's Monday Night Quarterback with Trey Yannity and Tony Sukos. I'm Mick Gillespie. We're talking about the NFL right now and Alabama players in the NFL and where they may be drafted. Let's get into Mac Jones. We talked about the number one overall pick. Is Mac Jones that big of a drop down from Trevor Lawrence? And where do you guys think that he's going to get picked in this draft? I mean, I I would – let's – like, let's be real here. I, I would definitely take Trevor Lawrence over Mac Jones. I think Trevor Lawrence has kind of proven himself more. Like he can he can do more. He's got all the same arm talent, and he's more mobile. 
but I'm a huge Mac Jones guy. And like for, you know, I mean, there's only one Trevor Lawrence, but I think, you know, you, you can build a, a real dynasty with, with Mac Jones. If he falls to the right team, I, I do think that that's a big part of it. And I think if you put Mac Jones, you know, on, on a cruddy team with, with no weapons around him, um, I do think that that could be a recipe for a disaster, but if you put him in a good organization that's able to build around him, um, I have no reason to doubt that he, you know, would be, could develop into a franchise quarterback could, you know, could, could be one of the better quarterbacks in the, in the league. We saw him do it at Alabama. We, you know, you say that he, you hear, I'm sorry that you hear that he doesn't have the arm talent, but he does. And we've seen it. He's accurate. He's smart with the ball. Um, He's not totally immobile. He's not a running quarterback, but he can get places when he has to. Uh, I just, I really like him as a quarterback. I, I, you know, I hope he lands in a in a in a good spot for him uh, with pieces around him that they they can kind of build around him. Yeah, this is this is a hard one, and you know, I guess the original question uh, is is Mac Jones really that much worse than Trevor Lawrence? I don't know. I don't necessarily think so, and. Yeah, I agree with you and disagree with you, Tony, because you said that they're comparable, but but Trevor's proved himself a little bit more. I don't think Trevor's necessarily proved himself a little bit more, but I think these NFL, you know, scouts, recruiters look at these players and think, you know, what could it be? Obviously, they're thinking that they're about to have him on their team for the next few years. They're thinking, you know, look at the projectability, look at the the ball speed, the, the numbers more so than even the success that they've had at the previous level. Um, but, you know, you kind of look back to Martavis Bryant rule. Martavis Bryant was on the same team as DeAndre Hopkins and Sammy Watkins and got drafted before or right in the middle of them just because, you know, he had the, the projection tools that they were looking for. He wasn't the best receiver necessarily, but they saw something we don't. That's sometimes the case with these players. That could be the case for Mac, which would probably put him in the top 10. I don't necessarily think so. I think he's a first rounder any way you draw it. Love that, you know, 15 to the Patriots. There. I know that'd make you uh, happy, Tony, but realistically maybe a little later i'm thinking 28 to the saints would be probably ideal for both parties i think that would be a great fit for mac jones the saints obviously are you know looking for a quarterback nowadays so um i love that one i've seen that in a few different projections but i wouldn't be surprised at the same time if you went 15 or even higher than that i really don't like it i really don't like the saints actually i i really don't because i think that's a team that's going to have to rebuild they have a lot of cap problems and so he's going to be stuck on a team that's kind of like in a transition period. Uh, when, I, when I look at the teams that I, I think that Mac could do really well on, the two that stand out for me are the Patriots. And it's, it's not because they have a great offense right now, but you look, they've got the cap space to go get him a weapon. And they've got an offensive line. They've got a defense. I, I think that they could like draft Mac Jones and then build some some teams around him. I also like the Steelers. If you're, if you're looking for a contender that's already done well, you got you got great receiving core in Pittsburgh. He can learn behind Ben, Big Ben, and then he's ready to go. I, I really like the Steelers as a as another as another team for Mac. And that could be right around the range that you were saying, Trey. That that's you know, I think that's 24 to the Steelers. It's not too much difference than 28. That could be a that could be a nice location for him. Well, what about the Panthers? I mean, they've got a top 10 pick and they need a quarterback. And I love the idea of Joe Brady working with Mac Jones. I'm sure that he's paying close attention to Mac Jones, his skill set. Uh, it, it all, it's all about who gets you. I mean, if you go to the Jets and you don't have an offensive line, you know, you're going to look like, like Mahomes last night, right? So you want to go somewhere like New England where they're going to protect you. 
Um, or maybe you go somewhere like Carolina that had a bad year. Their star running back was hurt. You get him back, and all of a sudden, you, you know that you, you're work, working with some geniuses. Um, I, if Mac Jones goes in the top ten, I will just be floored, just because he's done all this in one season, really. Yeah, well, let's not forget that Carolina worked with Mac Jones for a whole week in Mobile. That, that was the team he was playing for, you know. So um, they're familiar with him now. That he's gotten to kind of like I know it's only a week, but he's gotten to kind of work in their system and kind of prove himself. So yeah, I mean, look, it, it only takes one team to fall in love with a guy, and and the difference between fifteen and eight. If you really like a guy and you're Carolina, and you know, look, I think there's just this preconceived notion that. Mac Jones is going to be the the fifth quarterback taken, but look, if if teams like him over Justin Fields or, or Trey Lance or you know, like like, then they'll pick him over them. You know what I'm saying? So I I think that you know that it's not inconceivable that he could go in the top ten, Mick. I think you might have a point. You know, especially if a team really falls in love with him, and it sounds like the the Panthers might have done that. You know, during the Senior Bowl. Hmm. I guess we'll find out. Daniel Jones, I mean, Mitch Trubisky, we're seeing this this kind of thing happen way and way more nowadays. Um, you know, I, I worry that those two, though, have maybe steered teams away from from going with the uh, the pick that's not as obvious. But but Mac Jones is that obvious. But when you talk about guys like Zach Wilson at BYU, Trey Lance and NDSU, they haven't been playing with NFL style players or against NFL style players. And that can work, you know, to your advantage and disadvantage. It's made things easier on Mac. At the same time, it's helped Mac prove that he can play with those players and help them have success at the highest level. Um, but, you know, we we really, it's more of a question mark, I think, with Zach Wilson and, and a guy like Trey Lance, which is why it's a little confusing to hear their names almost locked in ahead of Mac Jones. We'll see. Uh, when it comes to the Panthers, though, I, I think that for some reason, I've seen several mock drafts that, you know, make some good points. Justin Fields would be an excellent quarterback for that style of offense. He, you know, maybe would need a little bit of time to learn, but he's NFL ready enough. If he can stay healthy, I think the Panthers will go with Justin Fields there at number eight. Uh, but there's other teams, too, that, that could take Mac higher. So it's really uh, with Mac Jones versus all the other players we're talking about, we're going to talk about, um, you know, I think he has the widest range of picks. And that's that's the quarterback position. But he could go anywhere from maybe five, six, seven, eight to, to 32 or after that. Yeah, talk Trey, I think you make a good point, too, because when you talk about a guy like Trey Lance, who hasn't played against the competition, Mac Jones gets so much stick for having all these weapons, right? But he's also gone against better competition. And I think you got to you can't you got to have it both ways, you know? Yeah, sure. Mac has more weapons than Trey Lance did, but he's also going up against a way better competition. And I think like like you said, with the two quarterbacks that are, you know, weren't power five guys. I think you've you've got to at least be a little bit skeptical about the the competition they faced because if you look at a guy like Trevor Lawrence, Mac Jones, Justin Fields, they've played better competition and they've performed against it. And we're talking about, you know, proving guys like we were talking about Trevor Lawrence, you know, I think that has to come into the equation a little bit. And Mac has, albeit for just one year, he's done it. Yeah, no doubt. And he played behind a great offensive line, but he took advantage of it too. 
and and uh, showed that with talent, he can be just as good as anybody in the country. Great to have all you guys with us as you watch or listen. This is Bama Insider at BamaInsider.com. We're Alabama's rival site. We cover all the recruiting with the Crimson Tide, keep you updated on everything going on in the world of Alabama. And tonight on our Monday Night Quarterback Show, we're getting into where we think that some of these Alabama stars are going to be drafted in this year's NFL draft coming off of yesterday's Super Bowl. So we talked about Mac Jones and maybe the possibility, guys, of him being a top 10 pick. How about Najee Harris? Where will he go? Where's he going to end up in the draft? I think a lot of people see him going to Buffalo. And I'll tell you what, him and, and Allen and the rest of that offense, uh, Diggs could be uh, a good fit, but will he even get there? I, I think he does. And I, I love that fit. It, it's perfect. It's perfect. And, you know, Najee's a California kid. He's played in Alabama now for college. So the cold weather might be a little bit of a switch up, but it's in a running back room that contains Devin Singletary right now. And not a whole lot after that, it would be a great opportunity for Najee to, to learn a little bit with a back that's competent and been in this league for quite some time and take over that role here in the near future, especially when he has a top, I would say now three quarterback in the league and some other solid pieces on offense as well. And a good offensive line there in Buffalo. The thing about Najee Harris that could maybe get him drafted higher. He is NFL ready. And in the NFL, if you're drafting a running back, especially this high, you, you almost have to guarantee that he's NFL ready. You look at Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, the chiefs knew, you know, with their pick, we're pretty good already. This kid's really good. He's ready to go. Excellent pick. And it panned out for him this year. Najee Harris, I think, is even more NFL ready than Clyde was a year ago. He's doing things that are just so technical and the hurdles, the athleticism, the spin moves. It's all very NFL style, the way he plays. Uh, you know, kind of reminds you a guy like Derrick Henry we're going to be talking about here in a minute. So, um, you know, it, it's it, I think he will fall down to Buffalo and I, that's a perfect pick. But I wouldn't be surprised if he went higher because he has all the tools and he's ready to go right now. Yeah, I like the idea of him being on a team that can win now. And so, like, I think if you put him on a Buffalo, that's a team that all of a sudden can compete for a Super Bowl. They need that that running back, that that power guy. If it's, they didn't really have that in their offense, and it cost them in the playoffs. I think having a guy like, like Najee there, and also a guy like Najee that can catch out of the back, though, he can do both. He's really a complete back. So I, I love that pick. I, I just really want Najee to go to a team – that, that has the ability to kind of show him off, you know, I mean, because as a running back, you know, we'll see. I mean, Najee doesn't have too much tread. Uh, he hasn't lost too much tread on his tires, but when, when you look at a running back, the lifespan's short. So I kind of want to see Najee land in a place where, you know, we can really see him a, a team that's really built to kind of show off his talent. So I, I, that's what I'm looking forward to. It'd be hard to sit here and name all the different Alabama running backs in the NFL right now and, and uh, save Derrick Henry talk for next. But, you know, you got Josh Jacobs and you got uh, the, the other Harris that's with the Patriots. And, um, you know, it's like you turn around and they're like they're everywhere right now. Mark Ingram. Mark Ingram. Yeah. Who's still looking for the team right now, but <laughs> yeah, he was a Raven last year. Yeah. Uh, Alabama's <laughs> kind of become this running back factory. And it's, you know, just looking at, at Najee's face, it's crazy that of all these awesome running backs, that st statistically, he's the best that Alabama's ever had. He's certainly he came in talented, man. Like it, 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 you talk about guys that you you know, it's surprising in the fact that like 
the achievement is so big itself. But when you look at the, what Najee came into Alabama, he was already a grown man, number one overall recruit. He's just kind of a super athlete. And uh, when you when you look at what he did in high school, what he did, you know, even his freshman year in that national championship game, it, it, it's a surprise, but at the same time, this is probably the most pure talent Alabama's had at the running back position. It is. Yeah. It is, yeah. And and the even crazier part, too, is that he was on the same running back room as Damian Harris and, uh, you know, really talented backs the whole time he was here and found a way to get the starting job and, and just grab the bull by the horns. We we knew this was possible because he came in, you know, a five star all the way from California. Those those running backs typically pan out. Uh, we knew he had the tools, but I don't think anybody thought this was possible. And I don't think the the just the jaw dropping plays. We didn't know that that. He was capable of that. You know, we, we've seen Alabama backs in the past and they're all great, you know, for different reasons. And they're all so fun to watch. But I think Najee was the most fun to watch just because he could really do it all. You don't see a running back that has those kinds of leaping abilities while he also has those kind of trucking abilities and is agile enough to spin and juke and still have the speed. It's just so unbelievable. Not even the numbers. Throw all that out. How just talented he is at the game of football and such a humble guy, too. What an awesome story. Yeah, he's a great guy. As you watch, guys, uh, thumbs up, subscribe to our channel, the Bama Insider YouTube channel. We really appreciate all of you that are hanging out with us tonight. I see that the comment section's rolling. You guys are always having a good time over there. And I know, like, it's, you know, the Super Bowl's over. Next thing is the draft and the, the 8A game and spring practice. You know, we're trying to find stuff that makes uh, for interesting talk. And we appreciate you being here tonight for Monday Night Quarterback. All right. When he gets to the NFL, Najee's going to try to be just like Derrick Henry. And Derrick Henry was named NFL Player of the Year, Offensive Player of the Year for the second straight year the running back of the Titans, a former Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, pretty exciting, man. I mean, pretty exciting for him. And he just totes the rock for the Titans. I wonder how long he's going to be able to physically do it. But congratulations. And, Tony, he's become the best back in the league and the best offensive player, too. Yeah, a guy, not bad for a guy that some people said would have had to move to linebacker. Uh you know, coming into Alabama. So it's, it's really, it's really crazy. He's, he's just built differently. You, you'd think that maybe he could last longer just because he's such a big dude. He can take a lot of hits. He can take a lot of carries and um, he's fun to watch. I mean, just seeing him shove off grown men, it's it, it kind of like, you know, just video game stuff. Like we th- talk about, uh you know, NCAA football coming back. You know, we, we talked about that last week, just, like he's the guy that I made in, in, you know, in NCAA football. Like when you just kind of did that cheat code player that was just ridiculously big and strong, like that's who you made. You made Derrick Henry and he's a real person now. And it's like, uh, it's really crazy to watch him. It was crazy to watch him in Alabama. He's just, he's one of these guys that like is a legend athlete. Cause when you look at him you're just going to, you can't believe that that guy can run that fast and be that big and be that strong. And so guys like that are just really fun to watch because, um, you just don't see that someone like him come around too often. Yeah, this is a this is a once in a life uh, time style running back because we haven't seen it before, and this could become you know more regular. Najee Harris and guys like that are are kind of like Derrick Henry in the sense that they'll just truck anything in their way. Uh, but but Tractor Cito himself, as they call Derrick Henry, <laughs> started this movement. And, uh, you know what an awesome award uh, for the second year in a row. This is a guy that. 
looks like he's an edge rusher. He looks like he could play linebacker or, or anything on that side of the football, um, you know, comes out and gets to touch it every game. Derrick Henry here, I, I think, proved, you know, Bama fans, the SEC, how great he was. But until last season, I don't think everybody truly realized how just dominant he is and how difficult it is to bring him down. Uh, I wonder kind of the direction the Titans go in and moving forward, kind of in a weird spot with Tannehill and everything else. I don't know if they're going to try to maybe blow some things up and, and really you know, make a push because they've had to deal with Lamar Jackson and some of these these teams. Patrick Mahomes knocked them out last year. But, um, you know, they're in a good spot, and Derrick Henry's at the forefront there. Yeah, he's been amazing. Let's talk a little basketball before we wrap it up tonight, guys. Um, Alabama played Missouri to a 68-65 loss at Mizzou. That's their first conference loss on Saturday. Um they fell behind by 22 points and tried to rally back. So their lead in the SEC is two. Their bid for an undefeated SEC schedule is over. They've got South Carolina coming up on the road tomorrow. Tony, your thoughts on this basketball team before we uh, close up shop tonight? Yeah, three game three game lead in the SEC standings. And it's still pretty comfortable when you look at the schedule that – that Alabama is going to play moving forward. It's just a matter of can they stay healthy, you know, and, and can a guy like Herb Jones, you know, do you give him, do you give him a rest? You know, do you, do you, yeah, he can play every game, but is it smart to play him every game? You know, you've got some winnable games coming up. If you can win them and, and maybe allow him to kind of recharge for a late season run, that, that could be really helpful. You know, NATO kind of talked about that decision, but it, it's also an interesting decision too, because there's no, there's no guarantee that resting Herb Jones will magically make, you know, his kind of back hip injury any better. So it's a real interesting, you know, uh, question to kind of delve into. I'll have a story about it tomorrow. Um, Alabama's banged up right now, but they're, they're not in bad shape. Um, I think what, what you're going to have to see them do is get on another one of these winning runs. They, they really should win their next, their next four games are extremely winnable. So um Rattle off four wins in that, and I think you know. But by that point, you know Alabama can clinch if they if they just win these four manageable games. So um, I think they're in a good spot right now, but they got to kind of push through with with some of these nicks and knacks that they have. Yeah, and I got a question too, kind of to follow up. You say it's uh, three games. I say it's two games. I'm looking at the standings. Bama's ten and one. Missouri's six and three. So it's two in the loss column. How's Missouri going to make up these other games that that obviously they haven't played on here? Because Alabama's played eleven, and um, you know Missouri's at nine right now. Yeah, I'm I'm actually not sure. Um, but you're right. Yeah, two in the loss column, and then you also got to factor in too that if they if they end up tied, Missouri now has the tiebreaker from the head to head, but I, I don't know how they're going to make up these games or if they will. Um, but um, even, even if uh, Missouri still has a long way to climb, even if you want to call it like two, um, I, I just, I, I don't really see Alabama to slip in this leap. Yeah. I hope not. Biasedly. <laughs> it's been a long time since they, since 2002 when, when uh, Antoine Petway laid in that, you know, that buzzer beater, the backdoor, well, maybe not a buzz, buzzer beater, but a backdoor pick to beat Florida and win the SEC. Um, and and look, I mean, Trey, you saw the game. Bama, you know, they looked sluggish. They couldn't hit threes. You know, they weren't rebounding. And then in the flash of an eye, I mean, they made up ground in a hurry. Is that going to be momentum going into this game against South Carolina? This team is huge on momentum. And I think they take a lot from that game. Um, you know, it was a huge lesson of, this is what we can't do for 
35 minutes and then still expect to win a game in the last five. Alabama played about as poor of, of a half and, you know, maybe eight minutes of the second half as they could have. They they couldn't shoot. They were turning the, the basketball over all the way. They had no kind of pace to them. And Missouri completely controlled the pace for all of that game. Uh, you know, they weren't getting rebounds. It was just it was a mess. But then you see them come together in that last five minutes, control the pace, put on a, a really nice full court press and force Missouri to make some mistakes. You see John Petty started some shots. Javon Quinterly gets some nice lane drives. It's a three. This team really rallied there in that last five minutes. Um, you know, and I, I do think it is a good momentum piece for this team. If you look nationally right now, you have some confidence if you're an Alabama fan. Alabama's lost two out of three games right now, uh, you know, to teams that were ranked behind them. And they've still only dropped two spots throughout the whole thing. They're in the top 15. They're number 11 right now. They're number one in the SEC. They're not playing their best basketball. Yeah. But when they get Jordan Bruner back, guy right there on your screen, this team's going to look a lot different. They're going to be much more physical inside. They're going to be, a, you know, able to be more aggressive inside. We've seen some guys like Alex, Alex Reese try to keep that aggression, but it doesn't work when you don't have the body, when you can't out-physical somebody. Uh, it just doesn't work. When they get Bruner back, they'll be able to do that, be able to set up this offense a little bit better, you know, better defense down low as well, um, and, and keep winning games. And, and like Tony said, this team's got a stretch here where they can win some of, you know, they, they should win all of these games. It's not Missouri again, you know, it, it wasn't a, a top-ranked, Oklahoma team it's it's really nobody um that that should give Alabama even any problems but we've said that in years past and, and been burned I think this team's different I think NATO has his team in a really good spot still I'm going to give you guys my assessment and then I want your opinion okay I feel like when I watch Alabama basketball that there's a lot of really good players but there's not a star player and when they got to the end of the game against Missouri and needed the ball to get to that one guy that was going to make the shot to put them ahead after they came all the way back, it just didn't feel like there was that guy. You know, I, I can remember, you know, you go through all of these great champion teams and there's always that one player who you know is going to get the ball and he's going to score in that kind of spot. You know, champion teams, you know, and I'm not saying that winning an SEC championship wouldn't be great. But I mean, like really going into the tournament and making a run. Who's that player for Alabama? Because I think that it's almost like a shot by committee or maybe Petway. I mean, excuse me, maybe Petty. Uh, but when it when it came time for someone to step up and after they made the huge comeback, I just it, it's my fear with this team was that there just wasn't that guy that was going to come on and in and, and the clutch make that big shot. I think Alabama would probably want it to be John Petty. I think that's the the most, you know, logical answer. And in terms of just that he is probably the biggest thing they've got to that, that star scorer. I think, you know, everything else is probably Herb Jones. I mean, that guy's the glue to, to Alabama's team. But in terms of like that late bucket, I think you'd want it to be John Petty. But look, Alabama is a, a team that has a ton of shooters that, you know, they trust with taking that shot. So really it, and, you know, while, yes, you want to have that score, if Alabama has Jaden Shackelford in the corner, I think they're going to – I don't think that they mind having him take the, the the last shot or same with Javon Quinterly or, you know, John Petty or, you know, I, I think there's a multitude of guys that they really actually feel comfortable taking that last shot. I don't think that – you're right in the fact that they don't have that one guy that they're going to force the ball to at the end of the game because I, I just don't think they, they have that guy in their team. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I can see what you mean by like a lot of times you want to have that, but Alabama's kind of built differently than that. I don't necessarily think it's necessarily a bad thing though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Jay? it's, it's not. And, you know, 
if you're any college team, it's not a bad thing. Alabama would like it to be John Petty or maybe Herb Jones, but they're not a true star. You look at the NBA, there's two types of players. There's star players and there's there's role players. In college, I think it comes down to three just kind of pillars. It comes to speed, size, and, you know, I guess ability to, to rebound and rally together and depth at the end of the day. Alabama has a lot of depth. They don't have a guy that can kill you by himself. You know, Kentucky had all three of those things, the speed, size, and depth, but they also had a start, you know, on, on some of those teams. Anthony Davis, or it was John Wall or De'Aaron Fox. Those teams were national championship caliber teams because of a lot of different reasons, but it might have been a star in that case, Zion Williamson and Duke. Or, you know, there's a hundred examples of where a star takes over, but there's just as many in college of, you know, just really good teams that have a lot of depth that get up and down the floor and can shoot the lights out that win the tournament just the same. And Alabama is one of those teams. This team has suffered some injuries. You know, Jordan Bruner has had to miss some time now. Herb Jones, uh, Alex Chico, preseason injury that put him out for the whole year. But there's not too many games where you're watching and you're thinking, wow, if we just had this one more guy to fill in, you know, we would be in so much of a better spot. You'd think that maybe down low sometimes. Uh, but at the same time, you have two guys that can come in and play pretty dang good basketball in the post. So, uh, you know, Alabama doesn't have a star, but I don't think they necessarily need one or, or want one at this point. No, they needed one on Saturday when they came all the way back and, uh, you know, it cost them. So hopefully that's not going to be something that, uh, that you know, plagues them going further down the road. They're a good team, no doubt about it, but are they a championship team? You know, are they going to make a run in the tournament? I guess we'll all find out. Tony, what do you got going on this week? You know, like I said, I'll have some basketball coverage tomorrow and then um, I'll have, you know, maybe some stuff on the draft for Wednesday. But uh, it's my birthday on Saturday, so I'm, I'm going to be on a little mini vacation from uh, from Wednesday to Sunday. We're going up to Kentucky uh, for the for the bourbon trail. So sample some right. bourbons, go to some distilleries and uh, should be a blast. Well, let me stop you right there because I've done a bunch of those tours. Where, which oh, yeah? ones picked out? Yeah, I love them. They're great. Um, we're going to Woodford's, going to Buffalo Trace. Yeah. Um, we're trying to try. I did a lot of them aren't open. Uh, I, I see. I, I'm not sure if we we're able to go to Makers. We're gonna try to, to go to that one. There's a few of like some of the smaller ones as well that um, uh, we'll, we'll try to get to as well. I guess a lot of it depends on what's open. Four Roses is great. Yeah, yeah. And Four Roses. I I, I, I want to say that we tried to go there and they, they weren't open. You know, so it was it's, it's COVID's kind of put a, a little bit of a damper in my plans, but yeah, we will stop. I think we're stopping by four roses uh, if for nothing else, just to get a bottle. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That one's great. I learned a lot at that one and will it, that's the other one in uh, Bards. Is it, what is it? Bardsville, mm-hmm. Bards, whatever. Yeah. Like it's a, that's a small one, a really cool tour. Okay. When I, but uh, yeah, well, happy birthday. How about you, Trey? Yeah. Happy birthday, Tony. I didn't even realize <laughs> Thanks, that. Thanks guys. Up there. Uh, you know, another another big week, guys. We got the the sports all starting to collide like they do every year. So, um, you know, our content's going to be continuing to pump out. You doing some? Um, we're going to be starting a little series of prayer player profiles. Kyle had one out uh, just yesterday. You know, detailing a player's story, kind of their journey, and kind of what we expect for them to do inside this program. So we'll have that going this week. Um, we'll have the daily Bama factor going most days. I'll host mine on Friday. Hope to have Luke Ratliff of the uh, Crimson Chaos this week. So it's it's going to be a fun week. What do you got going on, Mick? Yeah, Fluffopotamus, man. That'll be great. Oh. Well, first off, before we get off here, got to throw a congratulations out to Andrew Bone and his family. Uh, they had the uh, the gender reveal party on Friday and then did another one on Sunday. And when Bone kicked the football full of color, 
on his new uh, Nikes was blue. So he's going to be uh, the father of a boy. Congratulations to our very own Andrew Bone. Uh, and look, we'll just be doing this, man. Um, tomorrow, you'll have Kyle Henderson and Andrew Bone, soon to be dad, to talk uh, recruiting. And, uh, you know, just check back on the site. Bama Insider. Check out BamaInsider.com. Also, this will be as a podcast as soon as we get off tonight, guys. Hey, this was fun. Yeah, definitely. Always a blast, guys. Hey, thanks. Subscribe. Give us a thumbs up. Roll Tide, everybody. We'll do it again next week. Monday Night Quarterback. And for Trey and Tony, I'm Mick.